Hello, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy new season of the Glorious and the Mundane. It feels incredible to be back with you and to get to be in this heart and headspace with all of you who have been on the journey with me over the past year or so. I'm so grateful to all of you who have listened and prayed and written in, and even when I've run into some of you on the road. You're quick to just go there with me about what this podcast has meant to you. So thank you for that. I also want to say thank you specifically for your patience with me as I've had to put the podcast on hold for the past several months and kind of morph this thing into seasons. I know it's been an extra long break, but it was incredibly needed. And you're going to find out in the next podcast what all those stirrings that I've kept referring to have turned into. I couldn't be more excited to begin unpacking some of that with you. But I ran into a sweet lady at a church out in the Denver area several weeks ago, and as she started talking to me about the podcast, her eyes filled up with tears as she expressed how it had specifically encouraged her through a really difficult season. And then she encouraged me, even around the idea that I've had to put the podcast on hold, and that in and of itself had given her permission in a way to do the same thing in her own life about some things that she had been juggling. And I just appreciated that so much. I shared with her how hard that it's been for me, one, to not have this outlet for a good while, but two, because it's just been hard on my pride to continually surrender to the reality that I can't do it all and that I've got to get still and quiet when the stirrings come so I can identify what they even are. As we all know, it's so counterculture to get still and lay things down. And meanwhile, you know, you're scrolling through social media and apparently everyone's killing it out there. (laughs) And there you are at home in your thinking chair or your cubicle during a lunch break or in the nursery rocker trying to get that little one down and wondering if the stirrings will ever compile into something that expresses the kingdom of God in the way you so feel compelled towards. It will in time. So for you, I hope that the glorious and the mundane today is that you do have permission to lay down whatever needs laying down today. And you can do that with hope today that when you pick it back up, it will be sweeter than it was before. If I can model a posture of trust and rest to all of you amazing people out there juggling a lot of amazing things, then it was all worth it for me to put this thing on hold for a little bit. And by trust, I mean just this sense of believing that if God put all of these desires in us, then He will be faithful to lift them up at the proper time. Even as you're listening now, the to-do list might even be tugging at you, and you feel almost guilty for taking a minute for yourself, but let me encourage you around the idea of just being present for a bit today. There's going to be the part of your day where you do get to be productive, and we all have important things to get done. There's no denying that. But something that I love that our pastor Darren does a lot with us in church is that kind of in the moment on Sunday mornings when we're gathered, he challenges us to really be present in that moment and let God truly deal with things in our heart right then and there in our chair. And I think it's just a new practice and posture inside of life as we know it now that we're all going to have to be diligent about to let life kind of rage on all around us and to trust God with all of it and say, okay, here's my heart in this moment. 
lately when I've gotten the balance question like, how do you juggle it all? I find such freedom in declaring that I don't. I don't juggle it all. I can actually only juggle a few things at once. And so it's more of a question of what to pick up and what to put down. I got to be a part of my friend Annie Downs' That's So Fun weekend a few weekends ago, kind of a podcast live celebration that she had. And she interviewed me a little bit and asked me, after we sort of did the math on stage of how long Nathan and I have been in ministry together, and she said, how are you still in it after all this time, 22 years of being in ministry together? And I told her that in hindsight, it's actually so much easier for me to see that it's because God met me in a place of complete exhaustion when my kids were very little. And as I've told you before, He began to help me assign certain things to certain seasons so that I could learn to be present and truly trust Him with the bigger picture, to trust Him with the things that needed by necessity to lay down for a while. Some things along the way got laid to rest that actually just needed to be laid to rest and kind of stay there. But some things have also been resurrected to something completely new, like a caterpillar to a butterfly kind of transformation. But I do know this, it hasn't been everything at once, full tilt all these years. I told Annie, had that been the case, I don't think I'd still be sitting here. Thankfully, God got a hold of my heart with the truth that slow and steady wins the race. The fast and furious usually crash and burn, and sometimes after you've crashed and burned enough times, you just end up hanging it all up. So I'm glad that God opened my eyes to small steps of faithfulness, even when that might lead to pockets of hiddenness. Nathan and I have had moments in the spotlight but just as many moments that we felt tucked away and hidden inside the walls of our home, just trusting that the story was unfolding in the way He wanted it to in our lives, and that He could still be pleased with us, even in our simplicity, our mundane, our not-so-flashy moments of real-life stuff. And I could tell you this, He does restore what was lost. It usually doesn't look like we imagined it it would be, so We have to truly be on the lookout for Him. But He mends what has been broken. He buries things for our protection. And He resurrects what He calls back to life in us and puts joy in our hearts like we never imagined when we get to pick it up again, like I am today. And it's a sweet thing to know in your heart of hearts that you've trusted Him with it. And I think there's a really specific and unique joy that comes from that, a fulfillment in something picked up that was laid down. There's a blessing in it. And you've gotten to find the Lord faithful through it all, which is really a gift in and of itself. Well, I don't know about you, but this time of year evokes a lot of emotions for me. I'm so ready for structure again by the time August comes, but the wide-eyed wonder in me is also kind of kicking and screaming when it comes to summer ending. We went to church on Sunday, and it was promotion Sunday, and so Annie Rose kept declaring in her sassy little outfit over and over that she was now a fifth grader, and my heart could hardly bear it. This year, Noah will be a junior in high school. He's our oldest. Ellie is starting high school in the ninth grade. And Annie Rose is, of course, proudly rocking her fifth grade status already. But we went out to eat the other night. It was a Monday night. 
just the five of us in our little magical downtown. And we strolled the streets afterwards and the kids asked for ice cream with the reasoning that it was the last week before school starts. So Nathan was like, yes, of course, we're totally doing it. But inside, I was fighting it because I wanted to act like school wasn't really coming. And so I declared on the inside that we're going to go downtown for ice cream on a Monday night right after school starts so we can hold on to the wonder. (laughs) Why should summer take all of our wonder with it? I don't know about you, but our summer has been full on, and I've just soaked it in. Even when we've had time at home, we've been taking full advantage of our summer days and nights, drinking in the sights and sounds of summer living in the country. Our big summer splurge, are you ready for this, was that we put in a front yard. If I could like pipe in awkward little cricket chirps right here, it would probably be so fitting because I'm sure most of you are just like, huh? (laughs) But there's something you must understand. We do have some acreage out here where we live, like a good little chunk, but nowhere on our chunk of land was a patch of grass of any kind. I don't know if you remember when Ellie Holcomb came out to Keeper's Branch, which is what we affectionately call our homestead out here. She stated on the podcast that our land reminds her of what she thinks Sherwood Forest is like. And I, of course, adored that comment because the Sherwood Forest and Robin Hood, particularly the Kevin Costner Prince of Thieves version, is one of my all-time favorite movie things ever. Not necessarily the movie itself, but literally the Sherwood Forest in the sense that it's this royal forest in England, and I love the wedding scene where Sean Connery, who plays King Arthur, shows up last minute to give the bride away, and it's just magical. In fact, you'll have to scroll back to last summer on my Instagram, and you can revel a bit in my obsession with the Sherwood Forest, because on June 26th, last year for Annie's birthday, we did a movie theme, and the whole family dressed up as their favorite movie character. Nathan decided to be Clark Griswold, but I, on the other hand, (laughs) I dressed up as Maid Marian on her wedding day in the Sherwood Forest. Anyway, we literally have thousands of red oak trees out here with what looks like bright green carpet underneath the trees because of all the moss. And the fireflies are utterly magical between the trees at night. And after being here for a few years, though, the one thing that we just began to long for was just a patch of grass to run barefoot through, just to stretch a clean grass to play catch or do cartwheels on or lay a blanket down. Whoever built our house, it was almost like the landscaping got cut off the list in the 11th hour, which I certainly understand how that kind of thing can happen. So instead of a yard, we had a giant gravel circular drive right in front of our house. And let me clarify when I say gravel, I don't mean like that pretty crushed granite type thing or river rock or pea gravel. I mean like the bright gray gigantic construction gravel, the kind that the wheels of your car get stuck in so you peel out every time you go in and out of the driveway, and the kind that bruises your feet when you just want to run to your car real quick barefooted to grab something, and the kind that gets stuck up between the grooves of your shoes and scrapes your wood floors upon entry. So our big summer gift to ourselves, instead of taking an anniversary trip, was that we put in a yard And when I say we put in a yard, I mean that within 24 hours, we had squares of sod laid, and we had a yard. And the other huge advantage to this project was that buried underneath all of that gravel was an entire irrigation system. 
So part of the job for the landscapers is that they dug out all these hoses and got that entire system up and running on the timer that was already there, installed and ready to go. So at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., our once buried irrigation system was now watering our lawn for us. We were in absolute disbelief at the sight of grass. And let me tell you, it took some major self-control to not run laps and roll around in it that first week. All we could do was kind of gaze upon it, because if you've never sodded before, you actually you have to be careful not to walk on it so that it will take root underneath. For the first week or so, you can still pull up the corners of the sod, and walking around on it could actually break the tiny roots that are sprouting, and they're trying to connect to the soil beneath. So our landscaper told us that When you can pull up on it and it doesn't come up, you're in good shape. And we certainly learned a lot throughout the process. And of course, we were wanting to do everything we could to protect the investment. And one little tidbit that was dire information was that the landscaper happened to say, sort of just in passing to Nathan, you have someone to come out and spray the spongicide on it, right? And Nathan was like, fungicide? What? And the guy was like, Oh, yeah, you need to call a company like ASAP and have them come spray this stuff on it to keep this real common fungus from spreading. And literally, it would kill your entire yard. We were like, good to know. We had some friends actually tell us the other day that they lost their entire yard because no one told them about the fungicide thing. All that to say, we've learned a thing or two about grass this summer, particularly tall fescue grass, which apparently stays green all year round, which we were very excited to hear. And it thrives, get this, in the winter months. Imagine that. It's funny, I do love the summer months the most as far as the posture that we get in as a family. I love the lazy summer days of staying up late and sleeping in, but with summer wonder, I have to say, comes the wonder of wildlife around here as well. All kinds of creatures appear in Sherwood Forest. We've got bees, we've got really bad horseflies that will not leave you alone once they're onto you. We've got these mammoth moths that are no joke when they spread their wings out like the size of my hand. We have dueling hummingbirds that fight over the feeder. We have deer, we have bats, we have snakes, lizards, armadillos, and coyotes, you name it. One of my favorite things to do when one of my friends has come over and stayed late and they're headed to their car all alone, I'll just kind of stick my head out the front door and say, watch out for bobcats. And I'll watch them squeal and run really fast in the dark the rest of the way to their car. (laughs) I have to say the very loudest of the summer wildlife up here are the locusts and the frogs at night. And here's just a little tidbit. Did you know that frogs can kill dogs? The other day, our sweet family friend Kristen was keeping our kids, and she texted me a picture of a toad frog that had somehow gotten in George's water bowl. George is my little beloved long-haired dachshund, and he's an inside dog, meaning that his water bowl was inside the house. Yet somehow, there was a gigantic frog in his bowl. She took a picture of it because she thought it was so cute, and I, of course, I'm secretly freaking out on the inside because I know about the tidbit that frogs can kill dogs, but I don't want her to freak out just yet. Slash, I'm also super creeped out about how in the world the toad frog got in the house to get in the dog bowl. Kristen was like, do you think he got in through a toilet? 
and I just literally couldn't go there. So I said, well, chances are, you know, one of the dogs might have brought it in in their mouths, which led me to calmly have her check both dogs to make sure that they were not foaming at the mouth (laughs) or anything weird like that. I had her go out and wash the bowl with hot water and soap. And then I forwarded her this article on how a frog can kill a dog. And she had never heard of it. And it does kind of sound like nonsense, but it happens because dogs are attracted to frogs because, you know, they're like fun little squishy toys jumping around. But if they get them in their mouth, some frogs, actually a lot of frogs, have this toxic poison that they put off and can literally kill a dog within 30 minutes, apparently, if you don't get their mouth washed out or take them to get treated. So there's that. And actually, another dog-harming tidbit that I've recently been concerned with out here in the country just this summer is that hawks can indeed pick up small dogs and carry them away. (laughs) I was at my brother's house a few weeks ago, and they have pet bunnies, and they are utterly adorable. And they have this cute little white farmhouse thing that they made for them out of an old chicken coop. And lately, they've also made them this big enclosure that they can run in in the yard. So they'll have lots of room to explore and, you know, they're still hemmed in. So I asked my brother, Eric, I was like, well, during the day, do you leave them alone? And he was like, well, I can't because we have hawks. And I was like, oh, wow, like a hawk could carry one of these bunnies off. And he was like, oh, yeah, in a heartbeat. And he looked at me, he said, they could pick up George in a heartbeat and carrying him off. And I was like, well, I don't know that I've seen any hawks. And Nathan and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, yeah, I don't think we have them. He was like, well, you'd know if you had them. They fly in big, lazy circles in the sky, which, duh, those are the lyrics from the musical Oklahoma, which is where I'm from. (laughs) And then he said, you'd also know because they have this really high-pitched screeching sound. So we were like, yeah, I mean, I don't think we have them. I think we're all good. Well, fast forward only about three days. We're sitting on our front porch. And lo and behold, I see this gigantic bird circling above our newly planted lawn. And I was like, surely not. Then I hear this horrible, loud screeching sound. (laughs) And it's circling nearer and nearer, closer to our front porch each time he makes his round. George, mind you, is laying out flat on the porch with me. I grab him to hold him near as I'm watching the hawk like a hawk. Fast forward to me Googling on my phone, can a hawk really pick up a small dog? And up pops all these local news feeds, one after another, of small dogs getting attacked or carried off by hawks. (laughs) I'm just like, fungicide, toxic frogs, dog abductions, you know, the joys of the Sherwood Forest. Turns out a few companies actually make a little vest for small dogs that protect them from coyotes and hawks. I'm trying not to cry. (laughs) These vests have spikes along the back of them. And then the hawk protection part are these Velcroed on quill-like things that come out of the vest that keep the hawk from being able to come down and grab a hold of their little skin and carry them off. So needless to say, even though I'm laughing, I'm sure I'll be the proud owner of a spiky porcupine suit of sorts for George, as we have now seen and heard not one, but two hawks circling our sky out here. But one thing I did notice this summer was 
how this new little patch of grass has taken the focus off of the rotting wood on our deck, the peeling paint on the porch, and the makeshift dog fence we put up two years ago that looks a little more like a crime scene barricade. And yes, there are a lot of things that didn't get done this summer, but one space I tried to dial in even just a little was the porch, a space I knew where we'd go several times a day. And I'm sure that this is a very normal thing for all of you normal people who don't sleep in hotels several times a month. And I'm sure you all have your houses and your spaces completely dialed in to a T. But for me, I realized that I need to think ahead to create spaces to be, a place out of the view of my suitcase or the view of the dishes or the laundry or the crying scene, dog poop area, and just do even the littlest of things to set it apart. It wasn't much, but I landed on just buying some little pots of lavender and rosemary and this thing called a mosquito plant, which who knew there was that? I'd never seen it before. It smells just like citronella candles, which I'm assuming that's where we get citronella. And I bought some cute little metal trash cans from the Target dollar section. I saw them today. They still have them. And Nathan drilled a hole in the bottom of them, and we sprayed them all white, and we turned them into cute little beachy planters and set all of our fragrant little pots down in them. And we actually noticed we had much less of a mosquito issue this year. Plus, we had something fragrant and green to look at, and the smell of those three things together was just gorgeous. And it didn't take much, and it was our favorite spot this summer because summer gets just busy for us. Yes, in the traveling realm, but more in the family realm. It gets full on, actually. So usually in May, before summer starts, I'm intentional to take a trip with some close friends of mine. In the past several years, we have gone to the Cayman Islands, and it has become my happy place. My friend Shannon has a spot there, and she so generously shares it with us. And we've gotten it down to a science now to make this trip affordable. We always know that we need to reserve airline miles for May, so the ticket's covered. And once we land, we buy groceries for the week, and we cook all of our meals together, usually either in complete laughter or sometimes in that companionable silence that I've mentioned before the kind when you've just known friends for a long time and there's just no need to say words. It's such a sweet thing to just cook and clean up, maybe while some music's playing and the crash of the waves just outside the screen door kind of lull you into the evening. And during the days, we literally lay outside all day long. And that's my tan for the entire summer. I get it all done in one week. We get all of our catching up done. We get all of our giving each other a good pep talk done, at least for the next good bit. We listen, we laugh, we sing, like for real. We sing harmonies together when we're out on the porch. We cry our eyes out, but most of all, because we're busy people, we let Jesus carve out a space on the inside of us for Him again, and we reorient our hearts and our ears and our eyes, and we tune our hearts to sing His praise again, and it's glorious. And after that trip, I come home armed and ready for the beginning of the summer festivities. First up is Nathan's birthday in early June. Nathan is so easygoing when it comes to birthdays and gifts, but I found that there is one must, strawberry cake. Every year that we've lived in Franklin, even the first 10 years we were here before Atlanta, I got his cake at the same place, which is this little grocery store called Foodland or Grassland Market in Franklin. And if you walk in and you veer to the left, you'll find Miss Daisy's Kitchen, which is a little corner of the store that will bless your life. 
You can find take-home casseroles, dips, homemade rolls, chicken salad, all kinds of Southern goodness. And now after moving back, I've decided that nothing feels more like summer than when June appears and I'm walking in to Grassland Market to get Nathan's fresh strawberry cake. And of course, I grab a bottle of Ready Whip to go with it. And then only a week after Nathan's birthday comes our anniversary, which is quickly followed by Father's Day. So pretty much all of my Nathan celebrating is done in one week's time. No pressure or anything. But this year, I think I scored because I got his tickets to see John Williams conduct the Nashville Symphony. So I think I did pretty good there. We're pretty excited about going to that in September. And then in just one week's time after Father's Day, I'm gearing up for Annie Rose's birthday. Another little side note here, I'd like to point out to all you young mamas out there who go big with the birthday thing, I fully support you in it because actually I have always been one of those mamas. In fact, don't even get Angie Smith started on my go big or go home birthday themes. She still makes fun of me to this day how I had a camping birthday theme for Noah when he was five and that I piped in cricket noises throughout the house. It's true. (laughs) We only have had a few birthdays in our years that we've held at some sort of establishment. Otherwise, we have always had home birthdays and we've always done them up big. However, just know that when you start big, there's really nowhere to go from there but to stay big with it at least until they get to an age where huge birthday parties are just not the big thing anymore. But little traditions to us are huge traditions to kids, and they definitely have staying power. And so all those things I was doing up back then, and this includes Christmas down to the tiniest of traditions, our kids hold me to all of it. It's all good. I'm just saying, don't start something you can't finish. For instance, I always decorate the kitchen table. I've always done this since the kids were little for their birthday morning. So they, when they come down, the table is set and decorated for them. And we string pictures across the windows of them as babies all the way up to current. And we have birthday candles and pancakes or donuts to start the day off right. We hang big swoopy garland and light lanterns. And of course, this all started when I was in my 20s and I had a ton of energy on my hands. So now Nathan and I literally laugh every single time. Every night before birthday, we're up at 1.30 a.m. digging through our birthday bins in the basement to piece together decorations from birthdays past. Thankfully, I have learned to label them really good and keep them nice. But hodgepodging together somehow just works with the cafe lights that we keep strung up year-round in our kitchen. It just makes everything feel more magical, even just like on a random Tuesday when it's nobody's birthday. So now I just have to get a cake made and new party plates and napkins and those fun little straws, and it just feels fresh somehow. And also, never underestimate the power of a photograph to make any occasion magical for your kids because it's like a major novelty. They feel so loved getting to hold an actual photograph of themselves. (laughs) I'll never forget one year when we got some Christmas cards from friends and they sent a separate photograph with the card. And Ellie, our middle child, she was probably in kindergarten then, she held it and she looked at it and she said, how did they get the picture on this paper? It took me a second to realize that she had only really seen digital pictures for the most part. And I was like, this is a photograph. (laughs) Needless to say, it actually doesn't take much to make something pretty special for your kids. Photographs, cafe lights, 
polka dot straws from Target, you're pretty much done. But this year, Annie turned 10, and this is another one of those, if you start something, you've got to finish it. So when our oldest, Noah, turned 10, we happened to have had a concert in Albany, New York, the night before his birthday. So since the concert was paying our way there, we actually bought a train fare for just Nathan, Noah, and I that took us into New York City for a couple of nights. And we took him to see a Broadway show. We went to our favorite pizza place in the world called Lombardi's. And we went to Times Square and Toys R Us when that still existed, and we rode the little indoor Ferris wheel. And it was such a fun time. And really, because we were already in the area, it was doable, right? Well, when our middle child, Ellie, turned 10, and her birthday falls right during the most wonderful time of year, we started thinking about the fact that the big Christmas tree would already be up in Rockefeller Center, and the entire city would be adorned head to toe with Christmas. So I was kind of itching to see New York. So we decided to surprise her. We used airline miles again and got a little tiny birthday getaway together, just the three of us. And it was wonderful, of course, and it remains her favorite memory to date. So now, earlier this year, Annie Rose, knowing she was turning 10, she started the inquiries about the fact that the older two had gone on trips with just mom and dad to the Big Apple And we had already decided, of course, that we were going to hold up our end of the deal, and we knew the inquiries were going to come. So upon further discussion, Annie wants to wait and go at Christmas time, like Ellie did, because she's smart. So this summer, on her actual birthday, we did have some friends over for a meal, and we had cake, and she did open a few small things. But all in all, she's holding out for the big trip. Some of you may have seen that one of her gifts she did open was a gallon of glue, And you would have thought that she opened tickets to Disney World. She literally hugged that gallon of glue and almost cried. (laughs) The glue was for the phenomenon that is slime making that has literally taken over our entire kitchen the last several months and our entire house, I should say, so much that we have had to declare some weeks as slime Sabbaths where everything's slime related, including the 90 bottles of slime that she's already made. It all has to stay in a big white tub in the laundry room. After Annie's birthday comes pretty quickly the 4th of July, which is always a huge shindig at our homestead. We decided a long time ago that we were going to wait until the kids were closer to being teens before we would get in a vehicle and try to make it downtown to the gigantic fireworks show and back, which I mean, we're kind of coming up on that where our kids would actually enjoy that. But for the last several years, we've had friends and family over for a huge grill out We buy our own fireworks, since we've mostly always lived outside the city limits, and we have our own little fireworks show, complete with our very own 4th of July playlist that includes the only Star Spangled Banner version we recognize, which is Whitney Houston's version, of course. And then Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA rings in the finale, which is usually one of those fountain fireworks that we spend about $7 on, but it somehow lasts what feels like 26 minutes and sprays about 19 different colors. And just when you think it's done, it keeps going. But not long after cleaning up the firework aftermath, we head straight into Noah's birthday in mid-July, and I do everything I can for it not to feel like the last big festivity of the summer birthday and holiday series. And I try to make it as special as I can for our only boy as I slide into home base. There's something so special about summer and its essence that's almost even hard for me to put my finger on sometimes. I can truly say the older my kids get, it becomes harder and harder to let it go each year. There's something about the permission summer gives them, and for me, for that matter, 
to be carefree, to not be scheduled, to put aside the pressures of studies and having to show up at things and be on time and be put together. Summer just takes me back to being a kid in so many ways. My band and I got to lead worship for a high school camp in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in June, and it had honestly been a minute since Nathan and I had been in a full-on camp environment, and I have to say, it took us back. We had to spend some time filling in our drummer, Garrett, who was not raised going to church camp, on exactly what he missed out on. It was completely foreign to him, to say the least. Being a pastor's kid growing up, it was not foreign to me. In fact, I was the kid who got to go to camp with the youth group long before I was old enough to be in the youth group. And when I did make it to the youth group, church camp was mostly for me this long-awaited social extravaganza splashed with my love for putting together the perfect outfit for seven nights in a row. And the reason I keep tagging the word church in front of camp is because this isn't like any sports camp or band camp you might have attended. In fact, this might not even be like any church camp you've attended. This was the camp my parents went to, and I'm pretty sure even my grandparents went to this church camp. I mean, most girls now, they wear, you know, the short Nike shorts, the oversized t-shirts, and the chacos to church camp. We, on the other hand, had to wear dresses at our church camp in 103-degree weather, and our dresses had to have sleeves, couldn't wear sundresses, mostly poofy sleeves because this was the 80s. And getting ready for the nightly church service was for some girls, and okay, this girl, was almost on par with going to the prom. (laughs) Still to this day, when I smell cheap hairspray mixed with that faint scent of burning hair from a curling iron, I can't help but think, ah, church camp. I was the biggest troublemaker, if you can believe it, of my entire cabin at camp, in spite of the fact Well, I should say directly because of the fact that I was the preacher's kid. I know that's hard for many of you to believe, but there was rarely a night that my name was not called out in the dark at least five times by my counselor to shut up and go to sleep. One year, I felt especially proud because my dad was the camp pastor for the week, so he spoke several times in the main sessions. But because of it, I'll never forget how I got busted for lying to a boy about my age I had told him earlier in the week when I met him that I was 17, but when my dad introduced me to sing on the stage before his message, he said, please welcome my 13-year-old daughter, Christy. I remember cringing inside and later trying to dodge the guy in the snow cone line afterwards, but didn't quite get away with it. But what stands out the most in my memory about church camp was the emotional tear fest that would often happen at the end of the week. Many of us who had rededicated our lives once again to Jesus, repledging to really live for Him this time. And all at the same time, we were all having to say goodbye to our friends or boyfriends we had met, and summer was going to come to an end, and real life was going to set back in upon returning home. And of course, upon returning home, we experienced that coming down off of a camp high. The pendulum would swing and the fervor would fade over the next few weeks and months. And we'd find ourselves back to our old ways of trying to reconcile life in the real world. I guess what's different as you begin to mature in Jesus is that you realize that every morning is a chance to rededicate your heart and repledge your life to Jesus. It's not as much a once a year sweating and crying in this scratchy cotton dress at camp type moment as it is more like sitting on your front porch 
every day, watching your new grass take root. Of course, it takes carving out that space, thinking ahead, getting it ready, finding a rhythm. And when you find that rhythm, what's often surprising is that an excavation has to happen, not once a year, but every day. When you let Jesus dig into that place of your heart that needs digging into and you offer it up to Him, it takes this load off of what's like that irrigation system that had been buried there under the gravel for a while. And you spend time and you get it up and running again. You learn to take notice of what your heart needs, like that new grass. It needs water every day, sometimes even a few times a day. And you've got to watch out for things that grow there that shouldn't, weeds and other disease that kill new growth. And you quietly begin to hold on to truth every day, one truth building upon the next, and you let it take root in you over and over. You're careful not to let things trample on it. You protect it. Eventually, life begins to tug at you, trying to pull you apart at the seams. But over time, lo and behold, you become established, rooted like a firm planting. You're not going anywhere. You're allowing yourself to be held together. Seasons come and seasons go, and you're not only surviving, you're thriving. The winter months might be coming, but you don't have to be afraid. You're different than the other grass. You've actually learned to grow best in the winter months. Even when it's dark and cold, you know how to bloom somehow. You remember that slow and steady wins the race, morning by morning, brushing with new mercies, seeing them up close, putting them on like a new soft sundress. And you take the time to remember that there really is wonder and it doesn't have to fade with summer. It's not just for the authors and the artists and the theologians. It's for all of us, threaded through the very fabric we were made of. Psalm 40 verse 5 says, Many, Lord, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Too many to declare. That's a lot of days of discovering wonder. But I have this tendency in this crooked bent still buried in me somewhere that leads me to this place of rigidness and rules rather than wonder and awe. Perhaps the rigidness and the rules were a good thing when I was young. In the fast and furious days, they were guardrails that kept me from flying off the cliff. But when I get in that front porch-like rhythm of tending to my soul, I remember that the wonder and the awe can not only be found, but held on to. And the brushes with mercy are actually brushes with my Creator, as face-to-face as it's going to get this side of heaven, and it leaves me wanting more. The slow and steady becomes a communion with my Savior, no longer held together by the law of do's and don'ts, but now it's held together by the law of love that says, yes, I need more of you. But something in me also says today, Jesus, I want more of you. I'll never forget, um, forgive me if I've shared this before on the podcast, but there's a camp experience that I did have one year that has actually stayed with me all this time. And it did a deep work in my heart and changed me. It was actually a fall retreat because I remember the air was crisp outside and it was getting darker a lot earlier in the evening. And our youth pastor, Mark, had just dismissed all of us for free time. But there was something still stirring in me from the time of worship that we had just had. And I remember so specifically at the end of worship, Mark challenged us with this thought that Jesus is worthy of lordship in our lives. 
And for some reason, that went from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, and I was done in. I can't really explain it other than it's what the Holy Spirit chose to use in a 16-year-old girl's heart that night to open my eyes and wonder to who He is. And there were a few other students just sort of sitting there in chairs as most of the kids were just outside playing games or whatever else. And I looked around, and my brother Eric was sitting there perplexed, as well as our friend Kyle. And I don't really remember who else was with us that night, but Eric and Kyle and I, maybe one or two other people, went out for a walk in the woods. And we began to talk about Jesus and what it would look like for Him to really be Lord of our lives, like really giving Him permission to lead every aspect of our lives. This God, worthy of every breath we could see each other breathing that autumn night, Eric might remember more of this experience in the woods, but what I do remember was looking up through a clearing at literally what looked like millions of stars. There were no city lights to compete with what I can only remember as looking like pure majesty. And as we looked up, we all just got silent. Literally, a holy hush fell on us. A few minutes later, someone began to pray And then another person prayed, and we just started sharing about what we felt like God was saying in that moment. Eventually, we began to take off our shoes, and we got down on our knees in the pine needles right there in the middle of the woods. It was holy ground. For the first time in my life, I was completely awestruck at the wonder of God. It marked me in a way that I actually don't even know how to fully articulate nor do I think I should even really try. It feels so sacred. But all I know is that my heart was set on a new trajectory that night. It was as close to an upper room Acts 1 experience that I think I've ever had. It was the first time that I truly remember my eyes being open to Jesus, and I stood in awe of Him. How small I was, And how beyond words enormous He is, and yet His Spirit, so tangibly close, like our very breath that night. And something changed me forever. It might sound mystical, I guess, like that camp high we were talking about. But what I love is when we take the time, we clear that space, these moments of awe and wonder become less few and far between, They become less of a pendulum swinging widely back and forth, but they come to a place of resting in the center somewhere, steady enough to build our lives on. A.W. Tozer said in a message he delivered at a Wheaton College chapel service in 1952, he said, Above all things, the business of the Spirit of God in its fullest effectiveness is to remove the veil from the soul and show us Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ may simply be a historical Jesus, a theological Jesus, or a philosophical Jesus until the Holy Spirit, that potency that enables within, reveals Him for what He is. Then we throw up our hands and we cry, My Lord, my God. He goes on to say, It is my belief that the forgotten or at least neglected doctrine of our day, the most important one of them all, after atonement itself, is that we as God's redeemed people have a right to expect and receive from Him by faith 
a power that will do in us what all the poor religions of the world can never do. This power will bring to us the shining face of Jesus and make Him real within us so that not only the moral, theological, and ethical qualities are present, but also the mystical quality, the sight of the face of Jesus Christ within the human breast. There is no lovelier sight. I've been leading a song in worship lately that I want to share with you today. It's a song that I started leading earlier this year. My friend Matt Redman reached out to me at the end of last year because we were going to lead at the Passion Conference together in January. And he said that he had a song that he wanted me to hear because he could hear me leading it. And I always take those things seriously, and I gave it a listen, and I loved it in the first listen, which is actually pretty unusual for me. As a songwriter, it's funny. Sometimes I feel like songs that I have written— and that I lead in worship are like biological children. And some songs that I lead that other people have written are like an adopted child. And what I mean by that is that I truly do come to this place of loving them both the same, like they become a part of me, just as if I had written them. And that's what has happened with songs like Waiting Here For You or Let It Be Jesus. And now this song called Build My Life. This song began with Pat Barrett, who actually wrote Good, Good Father, and some of our other friends wrote on this song as well, and it actually was released by House Fires. So I was actually struggling a bit with, do I release this or not? It's been done a few times, but I had been leading it over the past few months, and so I came to this place of wanting to record it. And it's funny, I was just sitting with my friend Brittany, and she brought up the sweetest point about another song in my life, how God will often breathe themes into our lives when we're very young. And then they are like a thread sewn through our whole lives. And she made the point that when we really begin to live those themes, we start to sing them over people. And Build My Life is one of those songs for me. When you hear the lyrics, think back through everything that I just shared with you, how he opened my eyes when I was 16 years old with the theme that he is worthy of me handing over to him the trajectory of my life. I don't mean that in a sense that I came to the knowledge that I believe He had earned that place. I mean it in the sense that He opened my eyes, that He is Jesus. He is God Almighty. Philippians 2 says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So as this theme still comes threading through my life, hear this song today as not just some new song, but hear my voice as that 16-year-old heart who still hasn't gotten over the wonder and that he's worthy of every song, all the praise, and every breath that we breathe. When I was doing the vocal for this song, sometimes I'll get in a funky little headspace, and Nathan knows me well. 
where I'm too focused on if I'm going to be able to sing it right. And he so graciously and honestly, he's become very skillful as a producer and a husband of knowing how to say the right things, at least 99% of the time. That helped me bring the vocal that I'm singing from my head to my heart. And we laughed that early on in our marriage. We used to record at a friend's studio in Oklahoma City that had this sliding glass door separating the vocal booth. And there were a couple of times that he made comments to me before he became skillful at producing his wife's vocals. And he'd know he was in trouble if through the headphones he heard that sliding glass door open and slam and me go barreling down the stairs to the bathroom to hide. There's much less of that nowadays, thankfully, as he knows now how to gently guide me, which is what happened the day that I sang this vocal. And I remember looking out through the windows, through the red oak trees out here, And right then and there, the Holy Spirit came. And as I shut my eyes tight, I felt Him say to my heart, Yes, Christy, you've been leading this song for the past few months, but have you not also lived it? He said, Sing it like you've lived it. And only He and I will ever know all the ways that I have sometimes even painfully lived this message threaded through. Then the tears came, and through tears, I bellowed out this bridge. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever
thank you so much for listening today. On the next podcast, we have so much new to unfold, so be sure to watch my Instagram for those updates that are coming up. Also, if you enjoyed today and if it was helpful to you, it would be such a blessing to us if you'd head over to iTunes today and give us a rating for this podcast. And that's not for the purpose of pumping us up, but what it does is it actually causes others to just give it a try. And I just want to share this message of rest and hope wherever I can. And you're the best grassroots way to get that done. And I think I've said the word grass about enough today. So (laughs) if you enjoyed the song, Build My Life, then you'll be excited to know that we're releasing that as a single this Friday, August 18th. So be watching out for that. If you're listening right from christyknuckles.com, there's a link there that'll take you to all the different ways that you'll be able to find it once it releases on the 18th. But honestly, anywhere that you already listen to music, you'll be able to find it if you want to pray and sing that prayer with me in this season. I love you guys. I'm excited to be back at the Glorious and the Mundane with you. I look forward to the next time. And I'll talk to you soon.